guys, we're going to continue our hero series. I didn't think we were going to, and God just kept pouring this out. So we're coming right back to the hero series. And what this series is, if you're new to the church, every sermon stands alone. So it's not like if you missed all the ones before um, that you're like, oh man, I'm going to be lost. What we're doing is we're studying the different heroes of the Old Testament. And then we're looking at what New Testament principles they're teaching, showing you that the Old Testament and the New Testament work together. You know, sometimes we say, we don't need the Old Testament. Oh man, do we? And the Old Testament is filled with so many amazing stories. So today we're going to talk about Eli and Samuel. Um, Eli actually made a lot of mistakes. He didn't start off on a bad road, but he ended on a bad road. Eli, in in, in history, where the sermon's going to be taking place, he was the high priest over all of Israel. He was from the line of Aaron. So, I mean, this is a heritage all the way back. Moses' brother Aaron, the first high priest. And here in the lineage of Aaron is Eli. He had two sons that were also appointed priests. Samuel, he's not a priest. He was, uh, his mother was barren, and she was unable to have children, and she came, and she prayed, and Eli blessed her and said, this year, you know, may God give you a child. She says, God, if you give me a child, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him back to you. So she has a son. A couple of years later, he's, he's of the weaning age, right? And she comes and brings him to the temple, the tabernacle, and she dedicates him to the Lord. Every year she comes and visits her son, brings him clothes, brings him goodies, but he lives at the tabernacle. This is a young boy serving underneath the high priest. That's who Samuel is at this story. He's a young boy. So Today's message, if we were to sit with either one of these guys, Eli and Samuel, and said, hey, what's something that you learned in your life that you would tell every single one of us? And here's why I put both of those together, because they would give you, together, they would give you the same answer, honor God above all. See, Samuel had a unique position. He ended up, he wasn't born in a lineage to be a priest, but he became a priest, and not only a priest, but a prophet. He honored the Lord with his life, and because he honored the Lord, God used Samuel to anoint not just the first king of Israel, but also to anoint the second king, King David. Pretty neat, right? When you honor God, he allows you to be a part of some amazing, amazing things. They would both tell us that they were to that if they if, if Eli could change one thing about his life, he would have honored God above everything else. See, Eli did not honor God above all. He honored God, but he didn't honor God above all. There's a difference. There's a, I'm not this this is a, this phrase is important. The word all is important. You see, Eli honored God, no doubt. He was a priest, but he didn't honor God above all. All. And because he didn't, he felt the sting of God's wrath. Samuel honored God, and therefore God honored him. Today's key verse is found in 1 Samuel 2.30. This is coming as a judgment against Eli. And God said, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me, I will disdain. 
A New Testament principle that walks right here. Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exhausted, exalted. Uh, over and over and over we see this concept of this statement, pride, um, uh, pride comes before the fall. So we have pride and pride leads us to falling flat on our face. Anybody ever struggle with pride? All right, right? So when we have pride, if you walk in pride long enough, you will fall on your face. And what it says over and over, pride comes before the fall, but God gives more grace to the humble. So what happens is God sees those who have humbled themselves and say, God, I'm here. You're everything. He brings them up. So when you're humbled, he exalts you. If you exalt yourself, he then humbles you. So if you're being humbled, maybe you've been walking around exalting yourself a little too much. If God's exalting you and lifting you up, and here's what, that's what God does. He exalts. So I love this. So the introduction to the sermon today, if you show contempt for God's house and you only, if you come into God's house and you're showing contempt for his house, his ways, his word, I want you to understand that you're not only disrespecting the house, but also the owner of the house. I want you to think about this. If somebody comes into your personal house, you, you open the door, you invite someone in, and you have a no smoking in my house rule, and they walk in and they light up, knowing that, they light up a cigarette and start smoking in your house. Is that respectful or disrespectful? They not only disrespected the house rules, but they're disrespecting the one who set the rules. Understanding that Sometimes we live in a world where we sometimes forget that this, this building belongs to him. It's his house. This is his house. This is his house of worship. It's not, it's not this is, uh, people all, Daniel, your church. No, nope, nope, I don't have a church. <laughs> I mean, I attend a church. I'm a member of a church. It's God's church. It's his building, his people, his church. I'm just tickled pink to be a part of it. So I'm going to ask these questions. Do I or do you, do we honor God more than all things? Do we honor God above the love of our lives, our spouses? Do we love God above our children? Because this is sometimes what happens is, 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 is a couple... Well, sometimes they would have children and they make the entire life about the children and they make their children higher than their spouse. That's the first mistake. Most people, when they make a big mistake in their marriage, that's a big one. Because throughout the Bible, God says the two will leave their mother and the father and the two will become... There's not a single verse in the Bible where you become one with your children. You raise your children so that they can go and be one with someone else. Your kids aren't your friends. They're your kids. You're supposed to raise them in the way that they should go and then send them out, and they then should follow your model and how you set up that house. Do you honor God above your career? Do you honor God above your achievements and above your positions? And, and maybe, maybe you're a, a, a great athlete. There was a time in my life that I did not honor God above my athletic um, you know, uh, my kids tease me about my, my old high school letterman jacket. I put every single medal and patch I ran out of room on that jacket, and I made sure I walked in. I wanted everyone to see how good I was. I did not honor God above my athletic achievements in high school. 
I love this statistic. It says that um, kids, high school athletes have a 0.027% chance of becoming a professional athlete. But every child has a 100% chance of standing before an almighty God. So today's message does not start with Samuel, but Eli. We're going to get to Samuel, but it starts with Eli. Eli is right now the acting priest in the story. So the first thing that we begin to see is that Eli, he's getting older. His sons have come into being priests themselves, and they're wicked. His sons are wicked. Eli's children are serving in the house of God, and they're wicked. They have no regard for God. And here's what the Bible says. First, it says that Eli's sons were scoundrels. I'm like, scoundrels? What an interesting word to use, scoundrels. Different translations for the word scoundrel is worthless, wicked, sons of the devil. I mean, that's what I would have led. They were sons of the devil. Right? Okay. Okay. So they were corrupt. They had no regard for the Lord. And what an interesting, and I'm using this going piece by piece through this verse. They had no regard. The word regard here is an important word. It it, it comes from a Hebrew root, yada. And it means to know or to have knowledge of. In other words, they had no knowledge. They had no intimate knowledge of God. They served God, but they didn't know Him. This is dangerous. How many pastors and how many teachers, how many worship ministers have made it about themselves and not about God? His house, His ways. It is worship to Him, not to to self-gratification. They had no regard. So here's the problem. They are serving under their father, the high priest, as priests. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priest that whenever any people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. So what would happen is when people sinned against the Lord, they were to bring a sacrifice like a, a goat or a lamb or a heifer. Then they would boil this And they would have a hook, and they would kind of poke it into the meat, and whatever came out was the allotment for the priest to eat. That was how it was. That's how they. So the priests didn't do any other work but what was for the church. So how they were fed, where they were fed through the sacrifices. That was a sacrifice to the Lord. You got a piece of it. That's how the custom was. And this was in First Samuel chapter twelve or chapter two, verses twelve. Now. I want you to understand, I started asking, why are they corrupt? They had a father who was serving the Lord. Why are they corrupt? And the answer to that question is because they didn't know the Lord. Just because you know the Lord doesn't mean that your children will know the Lord. That's why it's so vital for us as parents to make sure that we instill our values in what's most important to me. So if I honor God above all other things, my kids should see that. But if I begin to say, I honor God, but I also honor my career, and I honor this, and I honor this, and I honor this, and I honor this, then what you're teaching your kids is to honor everything. And God is not above everything. So what we need to understand is that we need to honor God above everything else in life. 
The result of not regarding the Lord is that you don't end up having respect for His ways. So then the next verse here says this, but even before the fat was burned, so they're, they're, they're boiling and they're, they're, they're burning off the fat of the, the, the animal, and, and, and so the, the priest's servant would come to them and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat. He won't accept boiled meat. He's tired of roasts, right? If the person, I want it raw. Now, here's the deal is most of us, I would far rather take a medium rare steak over a roast any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Is anybody with me? I would rather have a medium rare, juicy, seasoned steak on the grill than boiled meat, right? But, but the thing was is they were breaking their rule. That was not acceptable. If the person would say to them, well, let the fat be burned first because that was what the, the laws said. And then take whatever you want. The servant would say, no, hand it over. And if you don't, I'll take it by force. So what the servant was doing is coming and representing the priest and say, the priests want their meat, but they want it raw. Well, that's not, that's not what God, God said. No, you're not to do it this way. You're to take the boiled meat and you get to take a prong of whatever that is. Well, they said, we don't want to do it that way, God. I want to do it my own way. How many times, parents, have you gotten frustrated with your kids because you tell them how to do something and then they go and say, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my own way. Raise your hand if any parent understands what I'm saying. That's it? Really? That's it? Come on, keep your hands up. That's it? Don't be lying in church. Man, but I want you to understand is that I do the same thing to God. God, I don't really like that. I want to do it my own way. We act like we're adults and we act like children towards God. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. It seems like something small. Well, just give me, cut off a leg and give me the leg and we're going to go do it our own thing. It's still getting meat. You know, let, let me do it my own way. God said this was very great because what happens is this. God says, I gave you the way I want you to do it and you want to do it your own way. You're not God. See, God says, this is my way. And they said, we don't want to do it your way. We want to do it our way. Well, he says, this is my house. This is my sacrifice. That is my lamb. That is my people. And the whole time they're looking at this going, well, I want to get my cut. I want to get my thing. The sin was great. For they had showed contempt for the Lord's offering. The, another word that you might see in a different translation would be aboard. It comes from a Hebrew word, nahas means to reject, spurn, despise, dislike. So they despised God's way. God's way is marriage, then sex. But America says, I despise that. I want to do sex and then marriage. We weren't this quiet a little bit ago. I'm wanting you to understand that all of us at different times in our life show contempt for God's ways. And I'm doing this not to try to shame you, guilt you, or make you feel bad. I'm wanting us to gain an understanding, and I want us to really question our heart. God, do I honor you above what I want to do? Do I honor you above what the world says is okay and what you say? God, do I honor your way above everything else? 
Or am I going to do it my own way? Because what happens is this. We walk down that road of sin. Yeah, I know it's a sin, but then God forgives us, right? We start justifying our sin and rationalizing our sin. And what we don't realize, that in the eyes of the Lord, that sin is becoming great. Not just little, because you're not showing respect for God. When we don't know the Lord, we won't follow His ways. Because his ways become burdensome, and over time you will get to a place where you have a disdain for them. You despise that way. Well, that wasn't all. These men did a lot more than just show contempt for God's sacrifice. They had no respect for women. Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing in all of Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. I'm right now really speaking to the men in the room. And I hope all the ladies, and especially the single ladies, all you single ladies are listening. God is the creator. God created me. God created you. How many of you agree that God is the creator and you are created by God? Therefore, you are his creation. If he created you, then you are his creation and you belong to? Okay, so if I, so I, I, I have my beautiful smoking hot wife right over here and, 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 and you know, let's say we were not met, married and I see her and she's beautiful and I want her. She belongs to the Lord. Do I respect him enough to respect his daughter? Boys, have you ever thought that when you start hitting on a girl and you're pushing that envelope to take things farther than what you are supposed to do, that you're fooling around with God's daughter as if he wouldn't know? Well, now we're really quiet. We, see, well, our problem is, is that we don't think like that. We don't think that, 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 that this child, this girl, and I don't care what she's wearing. I don't care that she's flirting. I don't care if she looked first. I don't care if she was the one who's trying. You should respect God so much that I respect his child. Whether she's following God's ways or not, whether she's a believer or not, I should respect her because she belongs to him. And if I show her respect, I show who respect? God. But if you don't show respect to her, you're not showing respect to God. You see, every time the Bible starts talking about sin, do you know the first one mentioned? Sexual immorality. Am I right, Paul? That's a big deal to God. Honoring God above all things is a big deal to Him. They were sleeping with women who served the church to even go that much further. They weren't just committing a sin against themselves and against God, but now they're dragging someone else into their sin. How do you think the Lord feels about this? 
Not good. Now Eli heard about everything his sons were doing. He heard about everything his sons were doing. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons. The report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? What he's trying to say is you are serving as a spiritual leader. You are serving as a minister of God. You are supposed to be interceding for the people, and yet you need someone to intercede for you. Woo! His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. For it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Now we're going to get to the green part. Okay? But let me start with the blue part. <laughs> I color code things so that I can make sure that we're all on the same, same point. His sons did not listen to his rebuke. That means that they continued in their sin. My question is that when... Eli sees what his and hears what his sons are doing. He rebukes them. They don't change. My question is, why didn't he remove them from their position? Why didn't he say, okay, right now you're on break. You're on hold. You're on the bench. I want you to think about this. By removing his sons, if he would have removed his sons from that position, he would have protected them from the anger of the Lord. You hear me? He would have protected the integrity of the ministry that they were in. And he would have protected the people from their sinful ways. So then we look at the other part saying, okay, well, he didn't do that. He should have. He didn't do that. And the boys didn't listen. And I started asking, like, Why didn't they listen? Well, the Bible says because the Lord wanted to kill them. That doesn't sound very good, and we're going to get to there. Why did God want to kill them? Okay, so here, Eli rebuked them. I said that. He did not remove them. Why is God so harsh with his judgment? Why does God want to kill them? I mean, remember... That they were wicked. It said they were scoundrels. Remember that, that their sin was what? Great in the eyes of the Lord. Not only that, but they were sleeping with women. That, you know, this is not a singular. It's not like, hey, they had, you know, this was, they were sweet, sleeping with the different women servants of that. So, so God says that his, his father then, Eli, rebukes them, but they're not listening Have you ever rebuked your child and they didn't listen to you? Okay, so they didn't listen to him. And here's what happens. There's a difference between rebuke and if the rebuke isn't heard, you better do something. Parents, this should be a warning to all of us. Your kids don't listen to your rebuke. Get the belt. Pull out the belt and tune up their heinies. My dad used to say, I'm going to whoop you until you can't sit down for a week. I'm like, that's a long time not to sit down. I don't want that spanking. 
There's a couple of really good spankings I remember in my life. One of them was when my mom came in with a fly swatter. She spanked me. It did not hurt at all, and I laughed. She said, you wait until your father gets home. Now, the worst spanking I ever got was when I disrespected my mama. I never complained about one of her spankings again, ever. That was the only time. In fact, if I ever got another spanking from her, I was like, thank you, thank you, Lord. The second worst spankings I ever got was when I misbehaved in church. Be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. And I'm like. And then my dad would grab me by the hand and lead me. I know where we're going. As I'm holding on to the pew, pray for me. You know, so. So you start looking at why is God so harsh? I'm going to show you in a moment that he's not. I want, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to highlight that part of saying God wanted to kill them. God was over this. Their sin was great. They refused to repent. They refused to know him. They continued to use his name in an unworthy manner. They showed him disrespect in his own house. God's done with it. Now look at this. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed. So what, what this verse is in the New Testament, same thing that we see in this Old Testament verse, the wrath of God is being unleashed, is revealed. He's let, I'm going to let it go. God's wrath comes out. From heaven against all godlessness of wicked people who suppress the truth. What suppressing the truth is to push away. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't care. When you do that, that is pure up rebellion against God, and he's going to give you a whooping. That's what that means. And I think sometimes we like, I don't like these kind of sermons because I only want to hear about the love of God. Here's the deal. The Bible says that whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. You want to talk about loving God, obey him. That's what love is. That's what it looks like. He's saying, I am going to reveal my wrath against people who suppress my truth. When you know what to do and you don't want to do it, that's the person I'm going to have a problem with. Now listen to this, for although they knew God, see here they know about God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is a hard passage, right? So I'm wanting you to see that what's happening is God's like, listen, God's not playing a game. Sin is a big deal. And what's worse is that his wrath was truly being shown even to a higher degree against the two sons of Eli because they were held in positions that were supposed to guard the truth of God. In James 3.1 it says, Not many should presume to be teachers because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. So, God is not harsh. He is just. God's not harsh. He's just. That means that whatever is received is what is deserved. When we refuse to repent, His wrath is simply giving us over to what we've chosen. Listen to this. This is why it's important to hear the whole passage, because it could seem like, man, that pastor's just a mean dude. 
He's just picking on me, right? I don't know what you did last night or what you're doing today or what you did last week. I don't know, and I'm glad I don't because I can just preach God's word and let it fall. But here's the reality. I want you to understand God is not harsh. He's just. See, the rest of that passage that I just read it says this, therefore God gave them over to. Everybody say to. You see, I even highlighted a different color to make sure that it came out and stuck out to us. He gave them over to the sinful desires. They were doing the sinful desires. What? In other words, this, they chose sin, so God gave them over to sin. You choose sin long enough, God will say, fine, it can have you. You chose to have it. At some point, it will have you. Has anybody ever struggled with a major addiction? To the point it owned you. Come on, right? You know what I'm talking about. Whether that, that's sugar, guys. It's not just drugs and alcohol. Sugar. Caffeine. If you can't go a day without coffee. Right? Okay? So here's the thing. is If you go a day without sugar and you have a headache... What I'm wanting you to understand is that there are parts of things and things in your life that own you. What God says is if you go down that road long enough, I'm going, my wrath and my judgment is this, I'm giving you over to what you chose. I've been protecting you and giving you a way back this whole time. God has been giving those guys mercy by not killing them before this moment. You see what I'm saying is God has so much mercy. How many times should God have killed each and every one of us? Because of our stupidity. I chose sin. God should have killed me right there. But his mercy said, I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you time. I'm calling you out. I'm putting people in your life. I'm going to place you on a church on a Sunday morning. And you're going to hear about how it works. So that you have that chance of coming back to me. God keeps providing the way out. And so what happens is this. When his wrath is revealed, he's just simply giving you over to what you chose. And now it owns you. Not you owning it. You didn't just get what you wanted. It now owns you. A couple of verses later, because of this, God gave them over to the shameful lusts. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God and do it right, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Hmm, that's tough, right? I started thinking about, like, why does God give us these, these stories about Eli, and why does he mention his two sons? Why not just talk about Eli's good stuff, and talk about Samuel's good stuff, and talk about David's good stuff? Why do we always have to hear about their, their, their failures? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm glad you asked that question, because the Bible answers it. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. And he's talking about the people who followed Moses out of Egypt. And he goes, their bodies were scattered through the deals. These things occurred as examples to keep us. You see, we have all of these examples in the Old Testament. We have all of these examples around us. You have all of these examples and people in your life and all of these examples so that you won't do the same thing. It's so crazy. I see somebody do the wrong thing. I'm like, okay, that looks like fun. I'm going to do the wrong thing too. They are as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things happened to them as an example and, we, and were written down as a warning to us. Why do we have the Old Testament? Example and warning. 
So if you think you're standing firm, you think you got it all figured out, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Praise God. These examples so that we have no excuse. I have no excuses. I can't say, well, God, I didn't know. Well, it's all over the Bible. Now, getting back to our story. Now, a man of God came to Eli. So his sons were doing the wrong things. Eli rebuked them, but they did not listen to him, and he didn't do anything about it. A man of God came to Eli. Isn't it interesting? A man of God. I thought Eli was a man of God. Man of God came to Eli and said to him, Why do you scorn my sacrifice? This is what the Lord says to you. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? Right? So Eli, I mean, Eli, think about his situation. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, here's the deal. Who do I honor? See, this is what happens is this. What's really hard in our life is who do I honor most? Because I think what we battle with is, God, yes, I honor you, but I also honor all of these other things. And what we do is we get them all blurred. So then this is what the Lord says to him. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. Man. See, a couple of verses later, in that same passage where the man of God is talking to Eli about what God is going to do, God, at the very end of this, God says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. Now, I want to, maybe if I could have highlighted, maybe I should have the word priest. Let's put father, mother, husband, wife, maybe you serve in some form of ministry, maybe um, you're, you're a, a, a friend, maybe you are in, a, a student in school, but God is raising up faithful people, faithful husband, a faithful wife, a faithful mother, a faithful father, a faithful child, who will do according to what is in my heart. When you honor God, you want to do what's in His heart and what's in, in mine. Come, you, you, you following me, right? If I honor God above everything, God, I just want to do what you want me to do. So he says, I'm going to, I'm going to raise up a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind. I will firmly establish His priestly house, and they will minister before my anointed one always. And what ends up happening is the line of the priesthood now shifts Samuel was not in any kind of a line. See, if you will not honor the Lord, he will find somebody who will. I think about that a lot. I want to always make sure that God, am I honoring you? Because if I'm not honoring him, I'm, I'm pretty easy to be replaced. I think a lot of times you see a lot of ministries and a lot of churches and a lot of leaders who start thinking more of themselves than they ought. And we forget that I was just a person 
I never in a million years when I was growing up ever thought that God would have ever called me to do anything for him. I was unlikely, an unlikely one. Then turns to Samuel. Samuel ministered before the Lord. Look at these verses. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy. He was a young boy wearing a linen ephod. He didn't have, in other words, he just had a, had a little tiny uh, shorts and no shirt. He's just a, a kid that didn't have much and he, he didn't own much and he's serving underneath the ministers. Uh, a boy, the, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with who? Grow in stature with the Lord, and then you will also grow in stature with what? The people. The Lord is mentioned first, and that is the most important. When you start trying to please people, you'll end up not pleasing God. But if you please God, and that's your main focus, you'll please most. But if you're trying to please people, then God becomes secondary. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Meaning that Eli was not doing a very good job of ministering before the Lord. The word of the Lord was rare. That's the situation. So Samuel is ends up being called by God in chapter 8 let me let me chapter 3 verse 8 so here he is he's laying down he's a boy he's just a, a servant boy God speaks to him in the room Samuel Samuel gets up and he runs over and he says Eli what do you need I didn't call you go back to bed Samuel whew, comes back over Eli what do you need I don't I didn't call you third time he comes over Samuel got up and went into Eli and said here I am you called me Eli then realized because it's about time that the Lord was calling the boy. Not him, the boy. So Eli said, go lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went, he laid down. The Lord came and stood there calling as he had before. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to kill the two sons of Eli, and this is how I'm going to do it. Now, I want you to hear me. This is actually very merciful of the Lord. For the very next morning, Eli says, you tell me what God said and don't hold anything back. So he says, uh, Eli, God said he's going to kill your boys. This is yet another opportunity for them to repent of their way. If somebody came to you and said, uh, you're walking down a wrong road, and God told me last night he's going to kill you. What would you do? It's Monday. Is there any church anywhere in the state of Missouri that's open today? I'm coming, right? I mean, how many of you, if somebody came to you and said, you're walking down a wrong road, you know it, I know it, God's going to kill you. You be at the altar on your face begging God to forgive you. How many would be doing that? Because that's what, exactly what I'd be doing. I, you see what I'm saying? And yet what? They didn't. In fact, what the boys did is they thought it would be wise. We're going to take the ark of God and we're going to take it to battle where they died. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. So the Lord established him right? 
All of Israel from Dan to Beersheba uh, recognized Samuel was attested as a prophet. So not only was he a priest, but he was also a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. So here's what's amazing. If you ever attend a church where God shows up, don't stop going. You guys that are coming here, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right before I started preaching and upset everybody, you could feel it real powerful in the room, right? (laughs) And he revealed himself. See, God wants to reveal himself to you. Now, it would be great if it stopped right here. Let me say, man, Samuel's awesome. He did great. Whoop, 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 whoop. That would be the Cinderella story that we all want, but that's not really how it, it happened because we now are going to see real quickly history repeating itself. Why can't we learn from our past? Why do we keep repeating the same mistakes? We see exactly how that didn't work out good. Oh, I'll do the same thing. Now, check this out. Chapter 8, five chapters later, we see history repeating itself. Eli's sons were scoundrels. When Samuel grew old, he, everybody say he. He. It didn't say the Lord. It said, okay, work with me here. It didn't say the Lord appointed. He appointed. Looks like a good idea to me. You're my children. Go for it right? He appointed his sons as Israel's leader. The name of the firstborn was Joel, and the second one was Abijah. I don't know, Biha or Abijah, didn't really matter because they did not do good. His sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. All the leaders of Israel gathered together and came to 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 Samuel and they said, you are old. Okay, you don't have much more time. You're old and your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. Hmm. My first question is, where did it go wrong, right? See, I think that where it went wrong was he appointed his sons. So because I'd follow up the question with who appointed Samuel? Did Eli appoint Samuel or did God appoint Samuel? See, this is why it's so very important. When we, when we hire anybody on staff or our leadership, one of the qualifications I have on the job descriptions, the first qualification is called. Are you called by God? Not are you called by me. Are you called by God? Did God tell you to do this ministry? Or do you see a need and just want to fill a need? Because not saying that you can't help fill a need, but the first and foremost, did God call you or you calling you or is somebody in the church calling you or is the pastor trying to call you? Did God call you? God, did he call you? Because he called all the major leaders. He called Moses. He called Samuel. But Samuel, when he got older, he knows somebody's got to lead. Well, hey, you know what? I'll put my sons. See, here's the the reality. Anyone who's a parent, I want the best for my kids. Like, I want to do anything I can to do the best for my kids. I I want my kids to succeed. I want my kids to accomplish. I mean, my kids, so I was a wrestler back in high school. So then when my girls wanted to wrestle, I was like, 
yes, right? And if you, you, you just can ask my redhead if I get annoying when I'm like, you want to go down and wrestle? Because we have mats downstairs. I'm like, you want to go wrestle? Let's go. Give me 20 minutes. Give me 20 minutes. Give me 20 minutes. Let's go roll around on the mat. She's like, you're 215 pounds. I'm 115 pounds. No, I don't want to wrestle with you, you know? Um, and so what happens is as a parent, you want them to succeed. And so sometimes you want them to accomplish more than what you even did. So I'm like, man, I was like this. But you know what? With my help, you could be the best. <laughs> Remember Ace Ventura when he spit in the spit wads to the... Anyways, sorry. As parents, we want to give all of our children advantages, right? We want to give them every advantage possible right? Then, but what can happen is it leads parents to sometimes putting children in a position they shouldn't be. Or maybe in a position they're not ready yet for the responsibility of. And by doing this, we can lead kids to their greatest failures. But here's the deal. Failures aren't that bad. Failures are what we learn from. But what happens then is sometimes we don't want to face the failures of that and deal with it. We want to ignore it. You see, the Bible teaches a lot about parenting. Here's just three verses, just three. There's countless, but here's just three. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when he is old, will not depart from it. Right? Train up the child in the way they should go. But let me ask you, hold on, parents, whose way? Is it your way or God's way? Train up the child in God's way. What happens is we do it our way. Or we don't do it in any way at all and hope the church does it for us. Doesn't work. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And every parent said? (laughs) Only some of the parents said that. Okay, hold on, hold on. I mean, like, I have seven children. And I almost broke out in revival when I read that foolishness is bound up in the... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, come on now. Right? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That is factual. Children are foolish to the core. I love them, but they're foolish. Parents, am I, am I by myself? Uh, uh, only my seven children foolish? Everyone that has children, if you really watch your children, foolishness is bound up in their heart. It's that reason we got to train them. That's why he says the rod of correction will drive that foolishness right out. You should see how quick my dad could take off his belt when I was a kid. It was like like a sword. It's like, oh yeah? I'm like, oh. Because if it came out, it was happening. There was no like, I didn't get the one, two. It was up. If it came out of all the belt loops, my hiney's done. My dad had this horse fighting face, all of his teeth. And so one time I was getting a spanking and I looked back and I. <laughs> Nightmares. You think scary movies? Just when you're getting a spanking like this and you look back and you're like, you know, I'm like, whew, I don't want to ever mess up again. All right. Deuteronomy 6, 
And these words which I command, listen to this. This is right after the giving of the Ten Commandments to all of Israel. Moses is standing here and he's saying, this is what God says. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. He's speaking to the adults. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So then the question comes as a parent, am I teaching diligently the Word of God to my children? Well, now we're really quiet. You were laughing just a moment ago. See, that's hard, right? Because what we do is we're like, well, I'm not qualified to teach. It's your job to teach your children. It's your job to teach your children. The church is just here to assist you. Here's what the Bible says towards the kids. You all ready? Listening? I know it's a long sermon. Get over it. The, the Bible, really, when it speaks to children, it really only teaches one repeating concept. Honor your father and your mother. You're welcome, parents. You're welcome. Thinking about that Disney song, all I can say is you're welcome. Okay, so the Bible over and over and over and over and over teaches Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long. Because if you don't honor me, kid, you're going to meet Jesus now. We're not waiting until later. It's now. Uh, Jesus teaches the same thing. Matthew 15, 4. Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. Go ahead. Curse me, kid. Yeah. Curse me. Go ahead. See what happens. So... Paul teaches, Paul teaches, I don't want to curse you, Dad. I don't want to curse you. I love you. So Paul teaches the same thing. Honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment of all the Ten Commandments with a promise that it may go well with you. I want you to understand, why is, why is the Bible teaching children to honor their parents and teaching the parents to train their children? Here's what's happening. The parents are to honor God. When you honor God, you teach His way. So if I'm honoring God, my children are to honor me, and I'm teaching my children how to honor God. Come on. What would a home look like like that? If the kids saw their parents and they saw, wow, my mom and dad honor God above everything else, and they're teaching me his ways, and I'm not only honoring them, but I want to honor their ways, and their ways are God's ways. Parents, we got to change this stuff. we got to turn it around. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. I messed that all up somehow. But anyways, so to honor something, I have one more slide after this. That's it. To honor something is to value it. When you honor something, it's you're putting a value. When I honor this, I value it more than everything around it. Because I can't honor everything, because then everything has the same value and nothing is honored. When you honor something, it has a higher value. That's what the word honor means. It has the highest value so of all my stuff. So there's two ways you're going to run down, you're going you're to break up your life. You're either going to do it like this, where God is a piece of your life. That's how most people, unfortunately, run their life, just like this. God, you're a piece of it. I give you Sundays and I give you Wednesdays. What else do you want? I give you a little bit of the paycheck. I give you a little bit of this. God, I serve whenever they ask. You know, hey, I helped with the downstairs building stuff. I'm, 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 you know, God's a piece of my life. And work is a piece of my life. And family is a piece of my life. And fun is a piece of my life. And everything else. Or God will be your life in which you have a family. 
And you have work, and you do have time to play, and you have a future, but everything is centered on God. God, I honor you, therefore I'm going to have my family honor you. I'm going to honor you in how I go to work. I'm going to honor you in how I, I, I decide the direction of our future. God, I'm going to honor you with how we're going to go um, you know, play and the hobbies and all of this. The reason why we have so many children not following the Lord is that too many adults have decided that God is just a piece of their life. So what we teach is that God is a piece of my life, so then the kids have the same model. Yet God just gets a smaller piece of their pie. And over generations, then God's not in the pie at all. So, as the worship team is going to start moving up here, I have three passages I want to share with you. So I, I called him up, so you know it's, it's here. It's, a, it's, it's the end. It was only a 54-minute sermon. It's not usually that long, but I'm not going to lie to you. If you're new, we preach long. You're welcome. Who wants a 20-minute? Guys, we're not fast food. This church is not fast food. If you're looking for fast food, there's churches that have got some fast food for you. You can get in and get it out in an hour. This ain't happening here. I'll tell you what, what God has done for us, I tried, I tried one time, I tried for a season to preach a 20-minute sermon, and somebody said, what's wrong with you? I'm like, well, I'm just trying to be respectful of people's time, and they're like, well, stop it. Okay. So guys, here's the thing, the whole message is to honor God above all. Listen to this. Revelation, I just love Revelation. You are worthy, O Lord. You are worthy. That means that you're deserving. You are deserving to receive glory and honor. See, glory is doxa in the Greek, and doxa means splendor or majesty. It's like putting a crown on his head, and honor is that you deserve to be the most valued. So God, you deserve, you deserve the crown and you deserve by everyone to be valued more than everything else. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things by your will. They exist and were created. First Timothy 1.17, now to the king, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise to be what? honor. See, what it's saying is this. God, we, we, they're doing is they're making statements about who God is. You are worthy. You are king. You are eternal. You are immortal. You are invisible. You are wise to you be honor and glory. Every time we turn around, we see these two words coming. To you, God, be honor and glory. Two different words. One's the glory is saying you deserve majesty and you deserve to be valued above all other things. And the last one, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength 
and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which was in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such was in the sea and all that were in them I heard them saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever so here's how we're going to close this service today We're going to worship. If there's anything that I hope that you got from this message is to honor God above everything else. You may need to come and just sing unto the Lord. You may need to take a knee. You may, you may need to take a knee where you're at. You may need to, to come up here. You may just need to stand up and give God honor and glory. But I'm wanting us to walk out of these doors with understanding. I am going to sing to God about honoring Him. And He is worthy. Maybe also during this time, you may need to come lay some things down. You may be convicted in your heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you and said, you have not honored me above all. And maybe today is the day you say, God, I'm sorry for that. Starting today, I honor you above all. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close our eyes and we're all going to stand. Everybody stand. Eyes closed. I'm going to bring the lights down. I want your eyes closed for just this first moment. I don't want you tripping over each other or anything like that, but I want your eyes closed because I want this to be a personal between you and God, not the person sitting next to you or anything else. You close your eyes. And if God is leading you, To come honor Him, kneel before Him. Maybe there's some conviction that you need to get right with Him. That you, He has not been number one, but today He is. Your eyes are closed. If God is nudging your heart, then open your eyes and come down here. Not everyone opening their eyes, just the ones that God's speaking to right now. If He's saying right now, you need to honor me right this moment. In this moment, I want you to honor me above everything else right now. And we are going to worship and we are going to praise His name. broken within